Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and in this episode I'm joined by Anika and Jennifer to talk about cryptocurrencies and find out how computer algorithms can make something valuable and whether all of this is really sustainable. And we'll get into all that in just a second, but as some of you probably know from following our social media, the whole podcast team has been uh, having a pretty weird time recently. So our last episode was about science versus engineering, and Rueda pretty much got straight back from travelling and went straight into managing that session, which was recorded in front of an audience from the Engineering Development Trust. And it sounds like it was pretty successful. They had well over 100 people in the audience, and they gave us some really great feedback as well. And I pretty much got straight back from traveling and went straight into editing, which was interesting when you're jet lagged. And uh, Anika, I know you were pretty interested in that because I was in Japan filming a documentary. Yeah, I think that's super cool that you got to go to Japan to film uh, this documentary. What was the documentary about? I was out there with a team of scientists from the United States who were doing something with essentially a massive laser that's several kilometers long and they're firing that at some crystals that are only just visible to the naked eye and they're doing that to try and find out the structure of these crystals and they have a whole load of data analysis in there that's quite a novel application and no one's ever really done anything like what they're doing until now it'll be interesting to see how the documentary turns out there was a lot of drama when they were firing the laser and lots of things that happened along the way that make it really interesting so i'm excited to see what the producer and the editing team come out with for that very cool i'm, I'm excited to watch it myself yeah well, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode because there's a few members of the team that have been involved in documentaries in some way So I guess we should get on with the main focus of this episode, which is about cryptocurrency. So Anika, can you give us a fact that you know about crypto? So I know Bitcoin is a type of crypto and that's a recognized country of two countries. Um, I think El Salvador and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I also know that crypto is decentralized and can be used to buy NFTs, which is something we might be talking about a bit later. Yeah, I think we'll come back to that. So I know very little about any of this. So I think I'm going to be asking lots of really obvious questions. Jennifer, what can you add to those facts? Uh, Yeah, I can expand on what you said earlier. Uh, Yeah, so what Anika just said, yeah, it's a decentralized uh, ledger, which means that these transactions are stored on multiple computers or servers in a large uh, network. So these servers are connected together in a network. What makes it interesting is that all of these transactions are stored not in a centralized location, but on all of these computers in the the same network. This means that you can't just go into one of these computers or one of these servers and change a transaction. That's not possible because all of these transactions need to be validated across the whole network. So that's what makes it secure in a sense. These cryptocurrencies, they use blockchain technology. And whenever you make a transaction or need to make changes to a blockchain, you need to use a verification method. And depending on which cryptocurrency it is, it uses a different type of verification method. Okay, so I'm, I guess I'm familiar with verification from things like two-factor authentication, like when you try and sign into a website and then it sends a code to your mobile phone. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, cool. it's kind of similar. So you would use either like proof of work or proof of state. Yeah, I guess we can discuss the difference and the impact of the, the two different verification methods later as well. You also mentioned blockchain, and that's a term that I've heard, but I don't really know what blockchain is 
can either of you give a definition of blockchain? I think blockchain is just what Jennifer mentioned is is the record or the ledger of the transactions between the different servers or the computers. So it's basically just like a ledger of all of these transactions is the blockchain. Oh, okay, that sounds really simple. I always thought it was something really complicated. <laughs> there must be more to it than that, though. They try and confuse <laughs> you with all of these words. And uh, also to add that these transactions are also public. Anyone can technically go in and see <laughs> these transactions. You don't need someone in, in charge who has to be responsible for doing Yeah. So I guess the word cryptocurrency to me suggests there is encryption in some way. That's obviously nothing to do with the blockchain thing, really, I've just learned. So do you guys know anything about the encryption that's involved other than that two-factor authentication type thing? I think a cryptocurrency is just kind of like any other currency, like uh, pounds, dollars, etc., but first of all, it's digital, so it's not like a physical kind of piece of money. And it does use encryption techniques, like you mentioned, to control the creation of those units of, of money, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Ethereum or these different types of uh, cryptocurrencies. And also to like verify the transfer of those funds between different computers. I'm not really sure. I don't think this is where the crypto part comes from, but for proof of work, these, so whenever you want to make these transactions in the blockchain, there's like a competition between these miners or the people like a bunch of people that want to <laughs> make the transaction because they get compensated for it. So there's like a competition between uh, how quickly they can solve uh, these cryptographic algorithms or um, some equations. And the one that solve it the quickest gets to validate the transaction and they get some reward for it. So basically the people or the group, the person who has the most powerful servers are obviously going to be able to solve these the quickest. So it's often the more wealthier or like the more resourceful groups of people that get to do the mining the most. So the other verification method, proof of stake, they're not called miners anymore. They're called validators, the people that do the or create these transactions or make the changes in the blockchain. In the proof of, of stake verification method, they're chosen randomly. So it's not based on how powerful servers you've got. Okay, so I've heard of Bitcoin mining and all I know is it involves quite a lot of computational resource, like you just said. Like I remember hearing about it probably 10 years ago, and you pretty much needed lots of processes networked together, all working on a bit of the problem to do it. But I, I don't know anything about the validation method you just mentioned. No one really talks about that. Is that a bit more niche, or is it just not talked about because it's not so competitive? Um, no, I think it's probably because it's more of a recent technology and... Ah. I mean, Bitcoin uses a bit older blockchain technology. The more, how to say, recent cryptocurrencies use proof of stake. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's just because this proof of stake method is newer. It's more recent. Okay. I've also heard of something called non-fungible tokens or NFTs in relation to the whole cryptocurrency thing. Uh, I say thing, I'm not entirely convinced by it at the minute. It's something I, I tend to avoid because I don't understand it. So what's an NFT? What's a non-fungible token? I think we can define fungible, which I think has got like some legal ramifications. The point is that it's non-fungible, which means that it can't be like copied. I think that's correct. If it's non-fungible, it's a unique thing and no one else can copy it. So a Bitcoin is fungible because you can like make many Bitcoins and they all have the same value, etc. But a specific NFT is unique and you can't make millions of them once it's made, it's it's made. I think an NFT can be pretty much anything. It can be a picture, it can be a music, it can be a screenshot of our podcast that we're recording today. That, that could be a, an NFT as well. 
I think that kind of outward facing bit isn't as important as the kind of receipt or the code behind actually you owning the rights to it or you being the unique owner of the NFT um, itself. That's what gives it the, the value. So the receipt is what gives it the value. The proof of ownership is what gives it value rather than the actual thing itself. And you need to use cryptocurrency, typically Ethereum, I think, for NFTs, um, which is a type of cryptocurrency. But yeah, you purchase them using Ethereum. I may have confused everyone with that explanation. What I understood was that it, it's a virtual object. It's something you can see on the screen or you can listen to. It's something you can interact with in some way. But it's registered on this ledger yes. that uses blockchain and you can't buy it using normal currency. Only this currency that's generated through either mining or validation yeah and so it's it's on that blockchain that there's a track of who's holding the nfts or who who owns like a specific nft that's stored in that blockchain on the ethereum blockchain between all of those different servers that's where the information is that someone owns an nft that's why you have to use ethereum i think at the moment okay also one important feature is so with Ethereum, you use something called smart contracts. And I think these are also the ones that are part of what Anika uh, just said. It kind of shows the ownership of the NFT. So it's like any other contract. It's just that it's a digital format. Yeah, it will be recorded in the Ethereum blockchain. So I can see that the virtual object I can interact with, I can show that off to people in some way, right? Yes. But there's nothing to stop people from making a copy of that virtual object and trying to claim that it's the nft yeah. i mean they wouldn't have they wouldn't be able to prove it they wouldn't have that certification but they can show it off to people and go look at my nft and try and trick people no so that's a really good point so the nft is meant to give you something which can't be copied which is the ownership of the work so if you try and think about it in like real inverted comma terms anyone can have like a copy of the mona lisa for example but whoever owns the mona lisa only one person can own the original Mona Lisa. So I think it's a similar kind of concept with NFTs that only one person can own the NFT, whatever it is. But anyone can, yeah, of course, take a photo of it or take a screenshot of it, just like any other type of art. So in that case, what's the point of the NFT as a whole? Because it seems to me like it's split into two parts, the record of who owns it and then the virtual object itself. What the hell's the point in having those two things? <laughs> Good question, Laura. Um, I guess this is similar to like, yeah, as we were talking before the podcast, what is the point of Gucci? What is the point of Prada? What is the point of all of these things to show off to people that you own this thing? I think that is part of it for some people, like saying that, yeah, they own this thing just to show off. But I think in some cases you can make money, like people are making money from it and doing really interesting things like I know some artists are using AI for example to make art and to make different sounds so one dance group I like they make NFTs they're called quick style and yeah they've been making these NFTs using AI that's pretty cool I'm not saying that's are you saying that they make a piece of music that is only valuable because it's it's registered on this ledger and it's bought using cryptocurrency and no one else can own a version of it. Is that right? Yes. So because they use AI, they're all slightly different. All of those kind of outward facing parts of the NFT as well, as well as having the unique ownership code, which gives it value. The other thing I've been seeing as well is some people are trying to link the virtual world with the real world as well to give people perks to having the NFTs. So whether that's like having a, a, a say in the direction someone might take with a project or, or or things like that that's another thing I think that's being explored at the moment okay so say I for some reason okay first of all I guess how do you get hold of cryptocurrency you can mine it right but you can also 
buy it because it's it's worth monetary value. I think it's is it about one and a half thousand dollars its current worth. I think I was looking the other day per Bitcoin. You can buy it and kind of like any other asset, you know, stocks and shares. I think it's a pretty similar principle. It can go up, it can go down in value. So yeah, you can directly buy it as well as as mining it. You would have to get like a special account and like a, a digital wallet that only holds cryptocurrency. So there are certain platforms for that that you would have to get registered in and then buy currencies. And then I guess I have to go somewhere else to buy an NFT. I, I get the impression this is like some sort of virtual bidding space. Yeah, it's like a marketplace specifically for NFTs. I think, yeah, OpenSea is one of the biggest ones. Is it kind of like eBay where you can either buy it at the price it's been set or you can bid for it? Yeah, it is. There's uh-huh. like some options as well. That helps me understand what it is and what I might want to do with it. Although I think I can see the value of like a Gucci handbag or a pair of shoes that are well made and hold their value over a virtual object that I can only really prove that it's mine because someone goes and looks at the ledger. I find that a bit odd. It makes me think about, you know, these people that owned like loads of a Bitcoin and then they lost their password. And then the, the, you know, you also have like this secret passphrase as well. And they lost it as well. And then because you've lost these things, you can't, I mean, there's no way to show that you own these assets. So then, you know, you've lost all the money because this is how you're identified through these passphrases and your password. So if you lose these things, then, you know, that's it. That's why it's like really anonymous. They call it bit rock this phenomenon of what Jennifer just described of whether you uh, forget your password or um, file formats might change or the image might get like just like another piece of art might lose its quality over hundreds of years data storage media doesn't last does it it's always prone to errors especially if you keep copying it Mm. yeah what happens if some of that data gets corrupted somehow something keeps popping on my newsfeed about a person that had some bitcoin on a hard drive and he threw the hard drive out this is years ago when it wasn't particularly worth a lot of money and now it is worth it he wants to drive back and he's not allowed to go and look in his local dump for it because it's too dangerous i don't know if it's the same story but i think it's because he stored his the secret passphrase or something there and if he has access to it then he can get i don't know how many millions of dollars or whatever right because i kind of assumed that it was like losing your wallet with a load of money in it. But the Bitcoin isn't actually stored anywhere necessarily. Is that right? It's decentralized. That's the point that it's not on one thing. Yeah. So it's on all of these other servers. But yeah, as Jennifer said, probably he had his password or phrase. Is that the only way they can identify you? It's like, I mean, if you lose your bank card, you can just go to your bank and say, I lost my bank card. This uh, is my identification. And then they say, okay, cool. Uh, we'll send you a new one or whatever it is. But with cryptocurrencies, so you have a password and then you have this secret phrase, which is like 20 words or something like this. And if you forget your password, then you have this long phrase that you can use. But if you lose both of them, that's it. (laughs) You don't have access to the account and you lose whatever assets you have there. That will definitely be me. Yeah, I forget passwords and lose things all the time. So I stand no chance of getting rich from having Bitcoin or NFTs from the sound of it. Are we all going to be doing stuff with cryptocurrency in the future? Or do you think traditional banking is here to stay? I think both of them are here to stay for a while, at least just from my perspective as someone who understands neither traditional banking nor cryptocurrency. And this is just from my very naive kind of perspective. I think there there will be both. I think there's advantages of cryptocurrency 
in the decentralized bit because I think in principle that's pretty fair that there's not one person like or one organization controlling what happens to a currency whether it will go up or down because I feel like especially at the moment with the cost of living crisis and the crisis the world is going through how the economy is controlled can be really unfair to a lot of people so having something that takes that control out of a few elites sounds like a good thing from my perspective but that's not to say it's without its disadvantages so like one thing we've not really discussed is that to mine cryptocurrency can be really really energy intensive and really bad for the climate and again that's another huge crisis that we're going through in terms of of climate change and, and the environment so I think neither are ideal but both have some good points and bad points. Yeah, we kind of touched on it takes quite a lot of computational power to mine Bitcoin. I still find that phrase weird. <laughs> I guess it's, it's kind of like you get visions of mining for gold, don't you? And it's nothing like that at all. I just picture it in my head. You know, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> yeah. Like with their little pickaxes inside computers, just mining <laughs> Bitcoin. But maybe it's a good word for it, considering how energy intensive it is. <laughs> just like traditional mining, right? Yeah. But I wanted to add to the decentralized currency bit versus these regular bank-backed currencies. And that is, you know, when you uh, make payments from your, like through your bank or from one bank to the other, or when you want to buy something, um, there's this process that takes place uh, with multiple middlemen or intermediaries Like Anika just said, cryptocurrencies kind of eliminate that because it's peer-to-peer transactions. So there's no one that's there to um, mess up and meddle around or anything. In which case, who controls the the network that the cryptocurrency is stored on? Is that the right term? I guess all the these uh, servers that are part of the network, basically. For traditional banks, it's kind of like the central bank of the country that sets up the kind of railway for the pay- payment system. So all these transactions go through through there. And then you have this kind of whole process where you have to do the clearing and the settlement, and that can take some time. And I know like cryptocurrencies, there are some transactions that take time, but for example, if more of these cryptocurrencies move over to proof of stake, they can be much quicker than our traditional transactions that go through our traditional banks. Yeah, it uses more kind of advanced technology. And without the climate, right, with the proof of stake. Yeah, exactly. So it would be able to have the middle people and you wouldn't have that impact on climate of the proof of work concepts that came before. Because it's actually quite slow, proof of work as well. I read that it would do like 15 transactions per second. So that would cause some bottlenecks or slowdowns here and there. Do you mean like a financial transaction or do you mean the actual mining? No, no, just the transaction as making an entry in the ledger, I guess. I guess that would be one transaction. But now if they move over to proof of stake, they will be able to do several thousands of transactions per second. Okay, I guess that's now got me thinking about how many banking transactions happen around the world at any one time uh, in comparison. Yeah. I don't, it's not something I've ever really thought of, but I guess it must be quite a lot. But apparently there are some banks that want to use blockchain as well. For their transactions? Yeah, I don't know how, but they somehow want to implement that kind of technology. Is that like things like um, Monzo or Revolut or these kind of non-traditional banks? No, even traditional banks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Is that because you mentioned that it's quicker to do the transactions and it's also publicly visible? So is that because maybe it would take the computational effort and the management away from the bank so it would make their job a bit easier? Yeah, it could be. I actually don't know the reason for it. But that, that does make sense from, from my side. And I guess it also makes me wonder about, we've talked a little bit about the energy intensity of mining cryptocurrency, but how much money are centralised banks spending on running their resources? It's not a question we can answer here, I don't think. But I keep hearing that mining cryptocurrency is really bad for the environment because it's so energy intensive. And there are some companies that pretty much buy coal-fired power plants just to run their server farms. Yeah. And they, they use the coal because it's cheap. Because there are instances of data centers that I think a lot of them are based in, I want to say it's um, Finland or something because it's quite cold and they need cooling. But it's also a country that has a lot of renewable energy sources. So the environmental penalty is a lot lower than like, burning coal in the desert, say. Yeah. I feel like this links back to some of the conversation we were having in a really early podcast episode about the carbon footprint of your internet use. Because that's what we're talking about, right? It's all just data moving around and being processed. Mm. It's interesting that you uh, mentioned these servers. I think traditionally a lot of banks, or they manage their own servers, but now more and more, many of these banks are trying to um, move over a lot of their um, applications or workloads to the cloud. Some of these cloud providers, their servers, they also consume a lot of energy. But I know some of these companies have also tried to use more sustainable energy sources to power up their servers. Yeah, so it sounds like we've sort of been reading the same thing, that data centers do what they can to yeah. minimize their environmental impact because mm -hmm. it's in their best interest to do so. I also get the impression that Bitcoin and NFTs are only for the rich. I don't think cryptocurrency is just for rich people. And in fact, there's been a lot of people from developing countries have done a lot of stuff involving cryptocurrencies and they've worked really hard and they've managed to earn like a, a, a lot of money from them by being really, as Jennifer was saying at the beginning, being quite resourceful and finding different ways to mine. But that isn't to deny you do need like a kind of startup fund to have enough money to have enough servers to do the, the mining, especially with proof of work concept where you do need all of that energy. So you do need enough money to build a farm. Is I'm talking about mining and farms and I don't know if farm is the right word, but <laughs> your initial kind of equipment that you need in order to do the mining does require quite a bit of money to start up with. Conventional money as well. Yes, exactly. From centralised banks. Yeah, and buying actual hardware in order to do it and then also paying for the electricity to run them, which is really expensive. Unless you can run it through, you know, if you have solar panels, for example, that could be a good way to bypass those electricity costs. But yeah, so you do need money to start with. This proof of stake concept might change things in terms of the amount of money you need to start mining. Plus, there's also the traditional investments. If you don't want to do mining, you can buy point point zero 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 one of a a bitcoin or, or whatever not that it's worth um too much but yeah you can invest you know as little as you want the nfts i've seen have been really expensive from my perspective that might just be i've not researched it that much but i think yeah you do need a bit of money in order to be able to buy an nft yeah <laughs> yeah i've also seen some really outrageous figures for an nft but there's like, there's been a lot of criticism in regards to like crypto investments that many of them are like pyramid schemes. 
That's what I wanted to ask. Is it all a pyramid scheme? Cryptocurrencies and NFTs? There's one person somewhere that made it seem really appealing and stuck a load of people in. Because, I mean, it's the ones that come in early that benefit the most and the ones that come in late that have to pay for everything. I mean, we've seen it a lot with uh, some of the newer (laughs) cryptocurrencies uh, and they sometimes call them stable coins. These sort of currencies that are, yeah, it's in the name. They're supposed to be more stable. Um, But then the people that kind of create these currencies, they are not the people, but some people, they, uh, you know, promote this coin, tell everyone to invest. The value goes up because of the demand. And that's when they pull out. And then all of a sudden the value goes to zero and those money have been lost by, you know, the people that enter uh, later. And those that left earlier, they've, you know, made a lot of money out of these other people. So it's kind of almost like a scam. They call it like pump and dump. But that's kind of how a lot of economics works from my very rudimentary understanding is something is only as valuable as people Mm. make it out to be. So if a lot of people are talking about it and want it, if it's more desirable, the value goes up. Yeah. Yeah. And then if if the the influences, I guess, if you want to go down that route, suddenly say, no, we're not doing that anymore, then the value just drops right out of it. Again, I might be wrong, but I feel with like conventional banking and with cryptocurrency both of these kind of rely on making money from money if that makes sense like it does i wanted to say like can you really invest in a currency you can trade a currency i think but can you invest in something that's just used to buy things (laughs) well i think that's what they do and i think that's really messed up in my mind like i have no issue like if you're you know investing in some plants or some food or water or resources that actually you know have some objective use but I think people forget that money is just uh, something that we can trade or ha- only gives it value because we give it value to something that is useful. And I think in both these cases, people are making money from money, which removes the the useful bit from both of them, which I just think ethically is very messed up in, in, in my mind. Like that doesn't quite sound right to me. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. I would rather have a warm house and food on the table, these tangible things, than either a wad of cash sitting under the bed that I possibly can't do anything with, or something in cyberspace that if I lose the password to, then (laughs) I'm stuck. Yeah, pretty much. So I was going to ask, would you guys try and get rich from NFTs or cryptocurrency in general? (laughs) I suspect the answer to this is no. No, but I wouldn't from conventional, uh, like currencies and trading either just but like I said I'm very scared of these just scared of money like it's I don't understand it it's very confusing <laughs> I don't understand how you can make money from money so yeah my answer is a no I don't trust it it seems too high risk to me uh, what about you Jennifer you seem really well versed on all this I've learned quite a lot from listening to you talk uh no I I wouldn't invest in cryptocurrency either I think I follow too many like crypto critics (laughs) so they always like yeah criticize it but I know quite a a few people that invest in it but I I wouldn't do it myself Uh, I think it's way too risky it's almost like gambling to me actually because of the like how volatile it is would you invest in traditional commodities would you ever buy like stocks or shares yeah I'm a hypocrite (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind buying these things or like funds. Yeah, this is okay. Stocks, 
yeah sort of but then i guess that goes back to anika's point that they are tangible things that have a a benefit whether it's a company that employs people or production of food or minerals that we use in all sorts of technology yeah is that the difference for you that there are tangible things that can be useful and cryptocurrency is just kind of this this weird bubble that people are making it seem appealing when maybe it's not so great yeah i try and make informed investment decisions and i try and do some good research and make sure i don't invest in any like weapons manufacturing companies or anything like this also like i feel i'm a hypocrite as well because i have a pension and they, they invest in all of these things including i think probably we- weapons and all of this stuff because i think they don't care as long as they can make uh, money but they're doing that for your own benefit if it's a pension in the future they say that Laura. i don't trust them i see every- i'm i'm gonna be like the tin hat gang <laughs> In all of these apocalyptic movies, I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen by the time. I think I'll still have, to, I think that we'll just have to work until we die. <laughs> that does seem to be the way we're going in the future. So uh, is, is any of this sustainable? Is any of what we're doing financially at all sustainable? It sounds like we're saying no. I don't think so. I think capitalism is not good, but we don't know anything. Yeah, even these investments, like what do you, do you expect it to go up indefinitely? <laughs> It's like really, really crazy when you think about it. Yeah, because I always think about like, you know, if, if we go to shopping to the supermarket and I don't know, like toilet rolls gone up in by by however much like it did at the beginning of the pandemic when it all sold out. But say like the price of to- toilet roll goes up by 500%. <laughs> no one's celebrating that the price of toilet rolls gone up by 500%. But like for houses or other investments, they celebrate when it goes up. So I, I just don't understand the double standards. Yeah. Is a podcast that's about science and engineering, which is kind of about discoveries and new developments and the good they can do for the world. We're all saying we don't want these discoveries and these developments. <laughs> we want to live in the past. <laughs> and it's not a no to cryptocurrency. I still think that like it does have some, like if we can sort out the climate thing, and the like or just in general yeah the whole impact on the environment I don't think it's a bad idea to have a decentralized yeah and I think even the technology itself can probably be used for something although there are some critics that said you know they don't think so because <laughs> it's been around for for a while and it hasn't been used for anything useful but you know you never know is that because it's not mainstream enough and there are just certain people saying it's this really good thing to get into when we're talking about it being a pyramid scheme, does it need to be more sort of every day? I think we need a proper education system in it because like, as we discussed today, we, we went through a lot of information. And I think like, because, I mean, I don't think we're really educated about traditional money either. At least I wasn't in school. Yeah. We explained how the economic system worked or why there was a huge financial crash or, you know, why these things happen. So I think in general, this needs to be included in our education system so people can understand why these things happen and what decisions um, affect this. And I think it's the same for crypto because the people who understand it, I feel that, you know, they're at a strong advantage because, yeah, they know what makes sense and and what doesn't. So I think there needs to be like a a program of education in uh, both traditional currency systems or economic systems, but also, yeah, the, the new technologies in cryptocurrency as well. 
Very good point. So I guess that's a, a good point to end on, that we all need to be better educated about cryptocurrency, blockchain and non-fungible tokens and the economy in general. And although we've, we've tried to discuss some of these themes between the three of us, none of us is experts in these areas. So we're all struggling a little bit. We all have different parts of the picture here, it sounds like. Um, but at the very least, I think I understand a bit better what cryptocurrency is. It's essentially an algorithm with a certain number of solutions that you can use to buy things on a ledger that no one person or no one state has control of. But if you lose your password to your digital wallet, then that's it. You have no way of coming back from that. So you have to be careful with how you go about it. So if you enjoyed this conversation, you can find us on Twitter to ask us any questions. We're also on Instagram and Reddit. And if you really liked this podcast as a whole, uh, we would be very grateful if you could support us and buy us a coffee, a beer or a tea if you prefer. And the link for how to do that is on our profile. So thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.